Oh, another week. Here I am in the Coal Hill staff room. Oh, hello, David. Good to see you here. Fancy seeing you here. We need to stop meeting like this. I know. It's becoming a habit, almost a weekly one. Especially as we don't work at the school, it's a little bit strange. It, it, it is. I do get strange looks as I walk in. But, um, but that's okay. The, um, the morning teas are good. They certainly are. Now, here we are uh, to talk about Class uh, Episode 3. But before we do, I think there's a, there's a bit of housekeeping to get through with regard to uh, all of this fun class stuff that's going on at the moment. Yes, we're only into our third reaction episode and already we're getting good feedback and linking up with people all over the world. So that's a good thing. Yeah, we certainly are. And for Australians who might be listening to this, or even New Zealanders, I guess, um, there is a class enthusiast group on Facebook. It's the Australian Class Enthusiasts, or ACE group. I wonder if other countries have set up their own sort of country-specific groups like this. I don't know. No, I haven't seen any, but I'd be surprised if they haven't. Yeah, it's uh, it's brand new, so it hasn't got its Facebook dot com name sort of worked out yet it has a whole bunch of numbers in it so if you just search for australian class enthusiasts on facebook you'll come across a group it's got about a hundred members so far and i'd say a fair few of them are pretty chatty as well from what i've seen so far yeah it's actually quite an active group given how new the show is there's quite a lot of regular posts and opinions so if you're interested it's certainly worth checking out and i'm sure they'll allow non-australians in there as well if you want to chat Oh, I'm sure they will. It's it's all being run by Dallas Jones. He used to run the uh, Australian Doctor Who fan club back in the 80s, was the first sort of big name fan, if I can put it that way, that I ever came across as a, as a youngster in fandom. Yes, I won't say I know Dallas well. We certainly shared a bottle of scotch or two at a convention in the 90s, so um, good to see he's still kicking along and involved and enthusiastic. Definitely, definitely. I was delighted when he sent me an invite to join. I thought, oh, this is exactly what I wanted to join. I didn't know it at the time. Moving on, you might remember in our first episode, I think it was our first episode, not the second, I pondered whether the character of Tanya in class was meant to be Courtney from Doctor Who, being a younger Coal Hill student. Maybe she was being pushed up to play with the big kids and it didn't happen, so they turned her into Tanya. I actually had the timidity to, to ask <laughs> Patrick Ness this question on Twitter and he replied. He doesn't reply to everything people ask him, but he replied to this. And uh, so I asked him, was it meant to be Courtney? And his response is, never was always my own Tanya from the start. I was younger than all my classmates. I know what that's like. So uh, I consider myself told it was certainly not meant to be Courtney. And no. thank, thank you to Patrick for replying like that. I think it's great when showrunners are, are active on social media. Yeah, no, that's really, really good of him. And it actually reflects, I think, just how important that character is to him that he took the time to respond. So that's uh, really nice. And during the week, I also got a tweet liked by uh, Greg Austin. So the cast and crew are actually paying attention to social media. So get your uh, thoughts out there and maybe you'll get some responses as well. Yeah, I think everyone except for uh, Sophie, who plays April. Uh, unfortunately, my favourite character is not on social media, but the rest of them are and they're all really active on it. Yeah, absolutely. I guess it's probably part of an actor's job these days. If you want to publicise yourself and your works and everything, you need to have your social media profile, and those guys are doing it really well. So, yeah, if you're on social media, if you're on the Twitter, go out there and um, engage with them. Definitely, and, and part of social media is, is feedback, and we love getting feedback here on the show. We'd love to start each episode with your thoughts on the previous episodes of the show, or even the previous episodes of our podcast, if we've said something you agreed or disagreed with. In a sense, I guess it helps us remember what happened in the previous episode, too. So write to us at hello at the dwshow.net and tell us all about what you're thinking about class. And we've actually got a couple of emails this time around. 
Yes, so the first one is from Mike Solko, who is the moderator of the Time Scoop cast and co-host of This Is Where It Gets Complicated. You can find Mike on Twitter at M.A. Solko. And can I so, just say, can I just yes. jump in and say the Time Scoop cast, he hasn't done an episode for a while, <laughs> but I love it. It's like a fantasy um, fantasy pick sort of podcast where people pick a, a writer and a doctor and an adversary and they have to make up a story on the spot. Um, they have oh, wow. a, a panel and they all get to pick different doctors, different adversaries and so on. And they make up Doctor Who stories on the spot. It's a really great podcast. So uh, listen to the old episodes. They're fantastic. Oh, I actually hadn't heard of that one, so I will check out a couple of their back catalogue. Thanks for that. Mm. Anyway, I, I didn't mean to butt in, but I, I, I just couldn't resist. I do like Time Scoop. No, always happy to plug other podcasts and hope that maybe in return they'll plug us. Um, so to speak. But, so to speak. Mike says, the first two episodes of Class have been very impressive. The focus on characterization is welcome and will serve the show well moving forward. I find myself attached to the three human kids while still trying to warm to the alien survivors. Miss Quill seems a bit over the top, but I'm sure that she will serve as a foil to the younger characters as well as an ally. Perhaps my disappointment in the character is that she isn't, in fact, the Shimmerin Princess from Delta and the Bannerman. <laughs> Sad old fans and their, their expectations, right? The one scene that absolutely hit the mark was Ram sharing the truth of the situation with his father, followed by his father's support. It was a touching scene that subverted so much of what we see in teen sci-fi horror shows. Regards, Mike. So I actually, well, I must admit I wasn't expecting it to be the Shimmerin Princess, but apart from that, I agree with a lot of what he's saying, particularly the stuff about uh, Miss Quill and about Ram. Yeah, absolutely. We we mentioned both those things in our earlier episodes, so it seems Mike is uh, Mike is on board with our thoughts there. Good, good. All right, the second email is from Renata Riveri, who I've talked to on Twitter for the longest time. Uh, you can find her at ALYSChan09. Um, this is the first time she's ever written into one of my podcasts, however, so hello. Hello, Renata. Um, here we go. Hi, it's Renata from Twitter. Here is my a bit long impressions on the first two episodes of Class. I saw some critics being way too harsh on the show. So first, I believe we have to keep in mind that Class is a young adult novel. It's about ordinary young adults facing extraordinary events, in this case, alien threats. And of course, it will also deal in large part with teenage drama. So, we can't really expect deep philosophical debates about life and the universe Doctor Who style. It will all be about the group of teens we met in the pilot, their lives, their dramas, all while being inserted in the context of the Doctor Who universe. And I honestly think Patrick Ness did a good job so far. Sure, the first episode felt rushed, like Ness is trying to fit too much into 50 minutes, evil shadow creatures, a quick view of our heroes' lives, creepy shadows everywhere, weird heart link between one of our teen heroes and the Shadow King, quick explanation of the two alien races, in a very clever way I might add, alien invasion during the prom, super badass ram, a very familiar sound playing in the background, hi Capaldi, missed you so much, and the Doctor saves the day for now. All of that with lots of blood everywhere, including especially on Ram's face and shirt. Yes, too much for just one episode. It almost feels like a teenager going through hormonal changes. And now I'm wondering if that was on purpose. Ha ha. The second episode has a much better pace. It also has even more horror and gore, which was cool. And of course, more fan service. Again, it's a YA novel. And good lord, poor Ram will be traumatised for life. Another person dying in his face, almost literally, and much more blood. This episode felt almost exclusively on his character, but I felt it was earned. He lost a dear person and a leg, which also affects a passion of his football. 
things though solved a bit too quickly but we have only six episodes to go for now so it was expected okay and she makes some quick notes on both episodes nice that the series started with the prom night instead of leaving it to the final episode hmm, good point yeah that's a very good point I love the call-out on some typical cliches. The Bechdel test was especially delicious to me. Not only class easily passed it, it also mocked how easy it is to do so. The hacking doesn't happen with a few keystrokes. One was also good. And considering the obvious financial limitations, I thought the graphics on the Shadowkin and the Dragons were pretty good. Also, I thought it was very important that Ram's bionic leg didn't make things magically easy for him. I think that's a really excellent point myself. Mm, mm. And I know Miss Quill is by far the least developed character here, as she is being used in lots of cliched ways, yet somehow I love her. I can't explain this. I just love how selfish and unapologetic she is. And that's it. A bit longer than expected. Best regards. Have a pleasant rest of the week from Renata. Thank you so much, Renata. Yeah, no, thanks for taking the time and effort to put all that together. Yeah, it, it, it gave us a good overview of, of what has happened in the past few weeks and brought up some new points, like that point about Ram's bionic leg not making him bionic is is excellent. Uh, the prom not happening at the end of the first series happened in the first episode. Again, didn't even cross my mind, but quite right. Um, so some really great points there. Yeah, the, the couple of things that I want to pick up is I, I absolutely agree with Renata that they seem very aware, that is the production team, of the tropes and the cliches of this genre. And they are working very hard to subvert them at times or lampshade them at times. And so I think that's quite an aware way for them to write. But the other point I want to pick up on, because it's been mentioned by a few reviews now that I've seen, is this this compression of everything in the first episode. And I still come back to what I said originally. And I've really thought about this, and I'm very sure in my opinion now. Had the series been 13 episodes, or even 22 episodes, but, but 13 like a standard Doctor Who series... I have no doubt that that first episode would have been split into a two-parter at the start, still leaving you with 11 episodes to tell stories. But when you've only got eight slots, I think the less of those slots you give up for introduction and the more you give over to a good story is a good thing. So was the first episode compact or, or, or intensely compacted? Yes, absolutely. But was that the right decision? I think it absolutely was because I want to get on with telling stories. Yeah, just listening to to you saying that, I was thinking, would I have liked that more if it was a double episode? Oh, God, no, that would have been awful. You know, I, I, I don't know whether it's modern television making me this way or, or what, but I'm just so glad we just got in, ripped in, and it was done in 50 minutes, and then we moved on. I'm, I'm not sure that really would have been interesting teased out into two whole episodes or like a movie-length sort of yeah. debut. I agree. I absolutely agree. All right, then. Well, that's uh, that's our letters out of the way. That's our news out of the way. Shall we get on to episode three, Night Visiting? Let's do it. All righty. So the episode starts off with a with a nice flashback back to the first two episodes, showing us, you know, what has already happened to our characters. Some, some nice music plays in the background. It's just a good overview of what has already gone on. It then cuts, though, to a, uh, a guy swimming. It's bright sunshine. It doesn't even look like the UK. Um... <laughs> And I wondered what was going on for a minute. And then there was this montage of a young couple and then they have a kid and then we sort of twig that it's Tanya and then the montage continues showing her growing up. Did you like this montage, um, David? I absolutely loved this montage that went right up until the point two years before the episode where the father died of the stroke because it absolutely brought me into the episode emotionally right from the start. I thought the way it was staged was really well done 
the music was exactly the right to tug at the heartstrings without being overly sentimental or soppy. The direction was lovely. It was just it was just the right amount to to make me buy this episode from the start. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, we knew it was going to be Tanya's dad because it had been sort of hinted at in the in the next time uh, teaser. That's right. That's right. And then, of course, it's two years ago that he's passed away, as you mentioned. And now we're at this morning, so to speak. It's the two-year anniversary of his uh, passing. The family visits the grave. We see that Tanya has two brothers. I, I'm not sure I picked that up in the first two episodes. Did we even see them at all in the first two? I, I don't remember seeing them, but no. that's a good thing. It's good that they just expand these things a little bit at a time. Yeah, that's right. And uh, they've obviously returned from the cemetery. The brothers are playing video games, but Tanya still seems very affected by it all and uh, sort of has to walk away from the lounge room. She wants to be on her own. But then Dad turns up. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> He's sitting there in a chair in her bedroom. And I thought, uh-oh, what the hell's this all about? Yes, well, look, we knew that scene was coming, and obviously it came right in the, um, the cold open. So you know, it, it lets them, again, just get on with the story. Exactly. I mean, just before the credits rolled, he seemed to have this really freaky look on his face. I thought, well, it is her dad, but I don't think it's her dad, if that makes sense. Cue credits. Well, given given the genre of the program we're watching, we know there's going to be some sort of dodginess going on. Yeah. And we come back from the credit, credits and Tanya is, is convinced it's not her dad right from the start. Maybe it's the big weird green tentacle that's stuck in his back that's giving it away. I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I was, I was really interested with the way they did this whole alien creature because they didn't have the characters acting stupidly or naively for a long part of the episode. They very quickly made it clear that there was something going on here. There were these tentacles going out the back. So the characters were allowed to actually not look stupid. Mm. And and we didn't have to sit there and go, oh, come on, work it out. You know, you know it's not your dad. They, they do know it's not their dad, but they still, you know, at some level want to believe or want to know what's going on. And you see that with the way that Miss Quill reacts with her sister. Uh, you know, you see it very clearly with the way that Ram just knows that it's not going to be his, his former girlfriend. And it, so they, they, they get, again, to the meat of the story without making our characters look dumb. And I really liked that approach. Yeah, a really great point. Because even in other modern shows, I think they would go the route of showing people, oh, I'm not sure, you know, oh, I think it's him. And it's like, no. And as you say, you're thinking, no, don't be stupid. It's not. That's right. But here, yeah, they, they cut straight to the chase. And that's great. And then we have this really interesting uh, camera shot. Well, it's not a camera shot. I guess it's a CGI shot where we follow the big tentacle attached to Tanya's dad. And it goes all the way back to Coal Hill Academy. So we know instantly that this is coming through that that rift, that tear. Yeah, so if I could perhaps jump in and make probably one of my couple of really large discussion points for the episode. Absolutely. My big note on this episode was that it was very good and I enjoyed it, but I don't know how well it's going to hold up on repeated viewing in that everything about the Lankan alien does work. They 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 use enough lines to get around some of the absurdities of it and you they rationalise all the reasons for it to work, but some of it does seem a little bit forced so they explain why it needs to be the victim's decision to reach out and embrace it but let's face it that was sort of uh, something that had to be forced to get the drama out of the episode that's fine and it worked once again watching it multiple times i don't know that it will the other big problem i had is 
where are the authorities? You know, it's just slightly too big a leap for me to assume that every single policeman, every single emergency services person, anybody from the military or from unit or whatever, they're all immobilized. Nobody else other than our three protagonist children has noticed these tentacles in the streets. And, you know, where, where, where was the population of Coal Hill? Yes, to give a Doctor Who example, it had a, a whiff of In the Forest of the Night about it. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. And that that's a shame. Again, I was able to sort of ignore it and move on and enjoy the story because I was enjoying the story. But I wonder if these are just little points that when you're not seeing it for the first time and engaging quite that, 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 that way, it will detract from it longer term. I, I don't know, but it was my takeaway from it. Yeah, the, I mean, the tentacles had bailed up and knocked unconscious a, a lot of people. We saw that. But to believe that it had done that to everybody, and especially people from out of town, further away, ooh, yeah. the whole country, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure about that. Yeah, some, surely there must be somebody else somewhere, given that all of our main characters weren't affected, other than Tanya, who was stuck in a bedroom, and still wasn't affected. Yeah, that, that that to me was just a little bit too much. And that's probably the weakest point of the story, I, I suspect. Mm. All right, going back to the plot, Matesh turns up at uh, Charlie and Quill's place. Quill answers the door with alien invasion or teen angst, which <laughs> which I thought was actually a killer line. I love that line. And the way the way that Miss Quill delivers these one-liners is really, really good. And I'm, I'm, I'm slowly warming to her because of that. Yep, she does a few things in this episode where I actually enjoyed it more than thinking, oh, is that trying too hard? So I might I might be on board with that bandwagon too. I might be warming to Quill as well. I might not be fully there, but I'm I'm getting there. <laughs> no, that's good, that's good. I'm I'm the same. I'm 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 getting there with Miss Quill. Yeah. We have a we have a few scenes with the characters here. Um obviously Matesh turning up uh there is because he's been kicked out of home, as he tells Charlie. Meanwhile, Ram is calling Tanya on Skype but not having any luck, so he tries April. Um, when he calls through, April has been playing the, the tune called Night Visiting on her violin, hence the name of the episode. Um, he asks her if she's seen Tanya. Uh, she hasn't. And then he wants some help with his physics homework. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a reassuring little moment that, you know, they actually do go to school and do homework. It's a nice reminder of that. It is. We, we cut to Quill. Uh, who's reading The Hunger Games, and she asks out loud, did this really happen? Um, <laughs> with genuine interest. And again, I thought, oh, that's a great line. I'm enjoying this character more and more. Yeah, again, I chuckled at that one. That was quite clever. Then there's a knock at the front door, but no one's there. Then a knock at the rear door. Something's going on. Ram's getting a knock to on his window um, while he's talking to April. He points out to April that he's a floor up, so a knock on the window is pretty damn odd. What's happening? Well, a blonde woman turns up and starts talking to Quill. She calls her Andreth, so we now know that her first name is Andreth. I'm not sure that her surname is Quill. I think that was the name of her race. That's but, right, yes. But yes. We, we learn that her, her name, or at least her first name, is Andreth. And there's a few scenes cutting very quickly here. We cut to Tanya's mum. We see that she's wrapped in tentacles, but Tanya's not noticing. We come back to the Skype call, and Ram's girlfriend appears in the room, which you were prefacing earlier um, that this happens. Ram freaks out, runs from the room, 
April's left on Skype looking at this uh, formerly dead student now standing in the room. And we've talked about video stutter. So I just want to <laughs> highlight here, they used video stutter to great effect. She jumped from standing in the room a, a, a bit back from Ram's PC to then suddenly being right in April's face on the, uh, on yes. the screen. Which yeah, is... that was a lo- lovely little jump cut there. But that, that scene again was important because April instantly saw that this person had a tentacle coming out of their back because she was looking at them from a different angle. So, again, it just moved the plot along. April now knows exactly what, well, not exactly what's going on, but that something is going on. Definitely. Now, Tanya, who's previously walked out of her bedroom and saying, you know, I can't deal with this, and just walking away from this strange tentacle-backed uh, man in her room, comes back in and asks her dad why he's returned for her, and he says that she has the strongest pull for him and I guess that ties into her being the most deeply affected in the earlier scenes you know she's come back from the cemetery and while the brothers just play video games she's still thinking about it and so on so she does have the the biggest I guess psychological issues perhaps with with what's happened with a father so they have this interesting conversation meanwhile we learn the person with Quill is her sister again that you you mentioned and these people this race is called the Lankin they gather souls and back with Tanya and her father, he's saying to Tanya, if you take my hand, I can ease your pain. When it's your time, of course, many years from now, you'll be able to find me if you just touch my hand now, which sounds a bit dodgy. Yes, it's... Um, I don't know whether it was deliberately written as a scene to echo that kind of um, stranger danger, child kidnapping, procurement sort of conversation i don't know if there was a deliberate attempt to echo that in there but i i kind of picked up a little bit of that tone yeah um, which was interesting to do and and yeah it it was an interesting conversation because i'm listening to it as a viewer going how much of this is the truth i'm very confident that some of it is a lie is all of it a lie is some of it true and that was where i was engaging with the story going okay let's Let's actually see where this is going. And I think that Tanya was going through the same thought processes as well, which meant that we were able to actually relate to her as a character. I agree. You know, I was thinking they gather souls. Okay, that sounds plausible, but they have to touch in order to meet up later? No. Well, he's just found her now. They didn't have to touch for that. Why why would Mm. they have to touch for this to happen again Mm. in the future? That's the bit that sounded dodgy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, meanwhile, Ram is out on the street. He's having a look at all these tentacles that are stretching into everyone's houses, it seems. And he cuts one open. It seems to be full of custard or something. <laughs> something like. It looked quite tasty to me, actually. I thought, oh, custard. I should have some dessert. Uh, um, no, no you're, you're on your own on that one, Rob. <laughs> then it regrows straight away. And um, he looks up. He sees his girlfriend calling to him from the window in his house. And he just bolts He's mm. out of there. It's like, lady, Absolutely. lady, you exploded and I was covered in your guts. You are you are not real. That's right. Back to Charlie and Matesh. And uh, I think this is where we could get into a conversation we meant to have a couple of episodes ago. Mm-hmm. Because uh, Matesh says that he loves Charlie. And uh, they get down to business. Now, going back to the very first episode where Matesh uh, kissed Charlie and we had Charlie asking April, um, was it appropriate to ask Matesh to the prom? And all of this stuff, I had the thought, and I think you felt similarly, and this is probably what we'll discuss now, as to whether Charlie is meant to be gay or gender fluid or just doesn't know how things work on Earth, so he's he's just going along with the flow and, oh, someone wants to kiss me, that, that sounds pretty good. 
you know what what do we think especially now that we've seen episode three and it does seem to be going more in a particular direction what what's your take on this character of charlie yeah so i, I was also like you a little bit interested slash concerned about this i i had noticed when patrick ness made the comments a few months ago about the fact that there would be a character he used the phrase that would be in a same-sex relationship or something. He didn't outright just say there would be a gay character. And I, I wondered if that passing of the terminology was going to mean something. And so when I did see the way that it was handled in episode one, I thought exactly what you did. They're actually going to go down the path of, well, he's not actually gay. He's just an alien, so he doesn't know that there are these, you know, some people are straight and some people are gay, and he's just da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Um, it's kind of like they had their cake and ate it too with Captain Jack in season one of Doctor Who, where, well, he's not actually gay, he's omnisexual and from a time when we don't have these hang-ups and so he's going to have male lovers, but it's kind of not the same. You know, mm. it's there, but it's not quite there. It's sort of fallen a bit short. But they seem to have actually not done that and he's entered a relationship with um, Matthias and they haven't had to make any comment about it. They've just said... Well, they just portrayed the relationship, and it's between two young men. Yeah, that's right. It, it does seem to be just going down that same-sex path. It, he's not gender-fluid. He's not confused. He's he's totally knows what he's doing, it seems, as of this episode. So that answers yeah, absolutely. The, the question. And, and, and certainly Matthias does. I mean, Matthias is a human, gay, young man. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm actually really pleased that they've gone down that path and portrayed these characters in this way, but also done in a way where they haven't had to beat us over the head with the fact that they are a gay couple or they are a gay character. They've just portrayed the relationship as a normal relationship that nobody's blinking their eyes at. And I do have to reflect on the fact that that was something that when I was the age that these, the audience of these shows would be, or the target audience of these shows would be, that was something that didn't happen. Mm. When I look back at the 1990s, you know, gay characters were, you know, it was repeats of Are You Being Served with Mr. Humphreys. Yeah. Um, a drama like To Play the King, where the chief of staff at Buckingham Palace has to resign because he's homosexual. Philadelphia, a great movie, but being gay is shown to be something where you can be proud, but it is a tragic thing. And, and homosexual relationships, when I was a teenager, were mm. portrayed as either comic or tragic. Yeah. And to see them portrayed in a teenage drama as normal, and so normal that you don't even have to comment on its normality, I think is a massive change in the 20 years since I was 16. And full credit to the show for doing that. And I think that for a lot of people won't appreciate just what a big deal that is, but it is a big deal and it does need to be called out and huge credit to the show for doing it. Yeah, ab absolutely agree. Uh, the way Matesh goes about things, it's it's absolutely situation normal for him. There is still comments that Charlie is a little odd. <laughs> he even makes that comment and Charlie sort of agrees that he doesn't quite get everything all the time. But uh, for Matesh, absolutely. Absolutely yeah. normal. But, but at the same time with Matesh, he's, he still clearly is having issues with his parents who are deeply religious. And that is a situation that many young gay men are going to have to confront mm. um, with their parents. So it, I think this will resonate for that audience in a really important way. I think that, you know, Doctor Who was quite groundbreaking in showing some of this stuff early on, but it, it, it always just shied away from going the the whole the whole way, uh, mm. so to speak, because it was a family show with young kids. And of course. Russell, Russell T Davies was very proud of putting in those sort of messages, but making sure that 
the younger kids watching Doctor Who were not beaten over the head with it. Class doesn't have to do that, and it's grabbed that baton from Doctor Who and taken it a next step, and you know, really, really well done. Absolutely agree on all counts. Now, while we're, we're away from the plot for a moment, the person playing Quill's sister looked so familiar to me the first time I watched this episode, and then the second time it was maddening, so I actually paused iview and, and went away and looked her up her name is anastasia hiller and uh, mm. she's been in tons of stuff quite recently she's been in the tunnel the missing prey all sorts of stuff but as i dug back through i realized where i know her from <laughs> yes did she seem familiar to you at all was she sort of pinging something in your head like oh where do i know this person from um, no it's it's pretty obscure it's a show I think most of us watch, but it is pretty obscure at the same time. Go on. She was in an episode of Red Dwarf uh, in Series 5. She was in the Back to Reality episode where the crew of Red Dwarf yes. ca- come out of the Red Dwarf Total Immersion game and a new crew go in. So this is while Dwayne Dibley and, and all the other characters yep. Are, are, yep. are now Back to Reality uh, they see the other crew go in and they start watching their adventure on the little screen and seeing how it's meant to be played, how it's meant to be this big space opera and lots of fun and all of this. And she, is she Kachansky? She was Kachansky in wow. the other crew of Red Dwarf. <laughs> well, you're right. That is obscure. I remember faces. I do remember faces. <laughs> oh, and that was well hers. picked. Very well picked. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Moving back to the plot, uh, Ram observes a mother out on the street, a very old mother, uh, talking to her son. The mother must be, I don't know, 70 or 80 and the son's 50 or whatever. And uh, he's saying he didn't get a chance to to say goodbye. And she says, well, take my hand. This is obviously the deal that's being given to Tanya in her bedroom currently. And as soon as he takes her hand, he's yanked away, just zoom, (laughs) yanked out of the the frame. Yes. So this leads to that little bit that isn't quite resolved, which is that we're never quite sure exactly what the Langdon says is true, and therefore we're never quite sure what it actually did want these people for. Did it did it want them just for their souls? What happens to the bodies? Does it eat the bodies? We, we get a hint of it in the, the, the climax. But this is, again, a difference to Doctor Who because there is no Doctor character to turn around and say, well, actually, the reality is that it was this, this, and this. Or even to go back to the Buffy references, there's no Giles character who suddenly finds the right part of the book and says, oh, well, it turns out that what the Langton really does is this, 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 and this. The kids just go, well, I don't know. And it is unresolved, and it shouldn't be resolved, because in the real world, it wouldn't be resolved. So, yeah, I kind of like it being open-ended, but it is open-ended. Definitely. And it's another clue that what's going on with Tanya, you know, these uh, these Langton aren't... Um... <laughs> aren't quite as they seem and we we get a couple more scenes of tanya and quill both being tempted by their respective uh people tanya's dad and and quill's sister Mm -hmm. meanwhile ram now goes running around the streets like an absolute maniac (laughs) we have these really quick (laughs) shots of him running down streets running down another street now he's running down another street and there are tentacles everywhere we get the sense that this is really spread out across the the city and uh, there are lots of people uh, tied up, unconscious or dead on the ground uh, with these tentacles wrapped around them, just like Tanya's mother is currently. Mm. And uh, we wonder, are they dead? What, what's exactly happening with them? Because uh, they aren't being tempted by, by anyone. They're just being tied up and knocked out. It's a, it's a bit spooky, actually. It is. It's quite, quite effectively done. And I have to say, the way this whole thing is shot is actually really, really effective. And the use of light 
or lack of light is really, really well done. Yeah, and I think it hides the fact that, you know, you were mentioning you didn't want CGI Monster of the Week, and while there's obviously CGI in this episode, I think a fair degree of these tentacles are practical effects, and the darkness sort of hides maybe the that fact. Yeah, yeah, but it, it certainly works well, absolutely. Yeah, it makes them look quite realistic in a lot of scenes. Mm. Uh, Ram, out on the street, now meets up with April, and he is sure that the world is ending, he's, he's convinced of it. She's not, though, and he has. He asks her, why do you have to be so goddamn sensible? And April explains a bit of her backstory at this point, that she's actually always at war with herself, you know, and she's had to learn to be sensible, otherwise she'd, she'd go a bit nuts. And uh, there's another scene coming up where we, we learn a bit more about that, where April gives uh, more of her backstory about her focusing yeah. a dad, obviously this guy who tried to call her at the end of the last episode, um, he played the fiddle. That's where she gets playing the fiddle from and liking folk music. He was always on tour. He was an alcoholic. And then he tried to kill her and her mother by running his car off the road, which is why her mum's paralysed. He went to prison. April got lots of therapy. And this is why she's uh, she's a little broken and always at war with herself. And that's why she keeps this, I guess, almost a facade of being so normal and sensible because otherwise she'll just crack. Yeah, no, a, lo a lovely scene, um, one that expands April's character quite well, and one in which the actress played it really, really nicely, I thought. Mm. She she did indeed, and, and I mean, I've liked the April character from the, the start, this made me like her more. Yeah. Uh, towards the end of this little speech, it got a, a little teenagery when she said, you know, she felt that the people trying to help her, the therapist, treated her like glass, and she says, but I'm not glass, and of course then they make out... <laughs> Yeah, look, that's that's just one of those things that if we're going to watch a young adult show, we're going to get young adult moments, and that's fine. It's, mm. it's harmless. Yeah, it is. Tentacles now appear in Charlie's room, and they sort of half form into his parents, but then mm. they then they disappear completely. And he, mm. he gets up and he says to Matesh, "Did you see that? That was that was my parents." Matesh says, "Do you often see your parents after sex?" <laughs> <laughs> yes. Anyway, Ram and April continue on. They find the source of the uh, the tentacles, particularly the big tentacle uh, that seems to be connected to Tanya specifically coming out of the school. And Ram says, why is there only one? Which I thought was weird because there are hundreds of tentacles. <laughs> but I think he just meant, why is there only one big one? Yeah, that, that didn't quite work as they intended, I'm afraid. But I, I got it. I'm confused, though, because Tanya's situation isn't entirely unique. I mean, she has this big tentacle attached to her and she's being tormented she's being tempted but other people are being tempted like that man on the street and like quill and obviously the girlfriend turned up for ram so it's not like tanya is specifically oh i'm confused can you make any sense of this look i think we have to accept the idea that there is a master branch and that it's sought out tanya because her pain is the strongest in the area that to me is a bit of a leap it's it's explained in the plot it's justified in the plot is it easy to swallow no not quite and that's i think the the the, the common theme with a lot of this episode it it does work like the the right lines are there to make it work it is just a little hard to swallow some of the more extreme elements of this such as that tanya is the one person in that whole suburb who you know has lost a father and is really upset about it, mm. it you know okay it's it's sci-fi, it's sci-fantasy. You, you take the rough with the smooth on that, I guess. But it is 
it is a big leap. Oh, it certainly is. Uh, meanwhile, we have more temptation of Tanya, more temptation of Quill. Uh, at this stage, though, Charlie comes downstairs with Matesh uh, to see Quill, talking to her so-called sister. And now that he is technically under threat, she can attack her sister. She's obviously under these rules where she can't attack people unless he's under threat. And yes. uh, she she goes to town. She gets quite medieval, to quote Quentin Tarantino, on, <laughs> on her sister. Pins her down, has uh, Charlie stab her through the hand with a screwdriver, I think it was. Yes, yes. It was, it was a bit full on. Yeah, it was, but um, I liked it. Yeah. Now, uh, after Quill takes down her tormentor, they, uh, the three of them, uh, Quill and Matesh and Charlie, run off to Tanya's. They see people being dragged out of their cars. Now the tentacles just seem to be just killing people for some reason. I guess it's to give this being power or to keep it powered up or something like that. That would make sense. But I, look, it, 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 it turns up the tension a bit. It turns up the danger a bit. And that's what drama does. Yeah. You can rationalise it, but in the end, it made it more tense, so that's what a show does, I guess. Yeah, it made me think, do you have to drag that guy out of the car and kill him? Because you've already got your tentacles wrapped around all these hundreds, thousands of people. Why don't you just kill them straight away? I, Okay, I don't know. No, I don't either. All right. At this point in time, um, Tanya's father is really starting to beg. Uh, initially, he was being quite persuasive, but now he's really getting down to the, the begging stage, and you can just tell that, yes, he's not quite right. Yes, he does need her to sort of agree or for her to touch him. He can't actually grab her, which is an interesting way of dealing with, you know, the monster of this episode, mm -hmm. so to speak. And he reveals, eventually, that he wants to root his heart in this world through her, and then once he's rooted in this world through her, he can just feed, 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 just eat everybody, I guess. Uh, yes, yeah, so I think we get a rough idea of what the alien wants. And at this stage, I was sort of starting to worry about Tanya in terms of, come on, how much more do you need before you just walk out of there? Well, indeed, because she's she's finally starting to get tempted, or so it seems. She looks very mad, though, and steps forward to... Uh, to embrace this guy and you think oh what's going to happen here and the lankan goes a weird shade of green <laughs> and she says <laughs> you are not my father you know my grief made me strong but my anger is stronger so clearly tanya is a sith lord from star wars <laughs> <laughs> sure yeah that's how i took it anyway um, <laughs> meanwhile uh this isn't enough the the lankan is damaged by this hate that she's put into him it's still alive though and so yes. <laughs> we have this great scene where Ms. Quill goes and gets a double-decker bus, <laughs> steals a bus, goes tearing down the street and hits the big tentacle that's attached to Tanya's house, which then pulls the Lankin out of the house, smashes him onto the road. He dissolves into dust or whatever they dissolve into, and uh, she's taken him out. And I thought, again, that wasn't overly cheesy. That was kind of fun. I think I'm warming to this character very much. Yeah, I, I like the ending, I, and, and I like the fact that it was both aspects. I think had it just been Tanya gave him a bit of anger and that was it, it would have been a little bit too demons for me. But had it just been the cheesy double-decker bus, that would have been a little bit too easy. Having them both uh, complement each other, I thought really, really helped, and the, the, the whole was great in the sum of its parts in the solution. 
It certainly was. Now, the, all the people on the street that have been held by the tentacles but not killed by the tentacles for some strange reason, even though it was killing other people with the tentacles, uh, they're now all alive again and wandering around. And Miss Quill seems to have been questioning some of them and no one remembers anything, quite conveniently. <laughs> yeah, and look, that's just a convenience we're going to have to, I think, accept if we want to have this reality in this universe. Otherwise, it's going to be a very different show. And Yeah, okay. Then we have another good Quill scene. Um, the team of teenagers gets together. They're reunited at, at last properly in this episode. They're congratulating each other. And Quill is looking at them with this curious look on her face, almost like she would like to be part of it because she's standing apart from them. And mm. she, she has a very wistful look on her face. But then I think one of them mentions, oh, now we're a team. And she says, oh, that makes me want to vomit. And she walks off. <laughs> so she's the same old Quill underneath. Yeah, and I, I did like your reading of that because I thought the same thing. I thought there was a part of her that did sort of feel a little bit isolated from the group and maybe inside she does feel that way, but at the end of what she just has that lovely line that I think for any older people watching it who are a little bit cynical about the YA teen angsty stuff, I'll go, yeah, good on you. <laughs> exactly, exactly right. At this point, the team's broken off from each other. They're, they're walking home. Ram makes April uh, an offer to, you know, come over whenever you like. <laughs> after they've had this snog earlier in the episode. But uh, she's a bit coy about it, and he retreats a little, says, oh, I didn't mean it like that. I meant, meant the folk music sort of I thought I thought that was really well written, because it, 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 it was the classic, you know, young lads, come over whenever you want, and if she took that the way he wanted, it would have meant that. When she backs off, no, I didn't mean that. Let's face it, I think lots of us have had conversations like that a few times. Yeah, yeah, he could have said, you know, Netflix and chill, uh, and it, it would have fitted right in. <laughs> um, <laughs> Matesh, we now learn, will live with Charlie and Quill, which is interesting. So he's sort of being drawn into the group. But is he is he really a full part of the group? Is he going to become a sacrificial lamb in a few episodes? I, I sort of worry for Matesh in this uh, in this uh, situation. Yeah, it's interesting because he, he, he is part of the gang in that he knows what's going on. He knows the aliens are going on. on. He's, he's with them, but he's not one of our regulars in terms of what the PR has told us and the opening credits and everything. So, yeah, I don't know where that's going to go. Is he just going to rock up when he's needed? I, I don't know. Oh, it makes me think, you know, I, I don't want to think too far ahead at times, but mm, he's the love interest. I have mentioned in the past that maybe Charlie has this burning ball of hate inside him. What could cause that ball of hate to come out? What if something it's happens to Matesh? <laughs> it's a reasonable conclusion, yeah. Mm. Alrighty then, what have we got left in these notes? Uh, Tanya and her mum then start talking about a dad and they look at, you know, a picture of him. I think it's taken during the pool scene that we saw at the start of the episode. And her mother's being really nice, which is good because her mother's been a bit of a, uh, a hard-ass in the first couple of episodes and you get the feeling, oh, is she just like that all the time? But no, she's laughing and she's lovely and she's hugging Tanya and they're having a really nice conversation. Yeah, it's amazing how a, a 40, 50 second conversation can make a character like the mother just seem that much more three-dimensional and realistic. And it was a really lovely little uh, bookend. In fact, if you look at the, the the flashback at the start and this scene at the end, they are lovely little emotional bookends for Tanya's story. And I, I really like that. Yeah, because the episode then ends with Tanya saying goodbye to the picture of her dad. And it, it's, it feels like real closure for her, maybe for the first time in, in two years. Yeah. All right, before we get to, to summarise the, the story and give our marks, we then have the, the next time. We learn that there's going to be a new head teacher. We learn that the Shadowkin are back. We see April with red eyes, and she's playing her violin like an absolute maniac. And she has swords. 
And to join that thought, Patrick Ness has said on Twitter that it's also going to be part one of a two-part story. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Well, there you go. Mm. So what did you make of any of those uh, any of those scenes? Oh, look, look, I, I generally try not to think too much about coming episode trailers. I noticed that the Shadow King was back, and apart from that, I'll let the story be told. I'm, I try not to buy into that stuff, if I'm honest. Did you have any thoughts on it? Just, just it seems that with the glowing red eyes, and obviously April is tied to the Shadowkin via her heart, maybe she starts to take on Shadowkin um, characteristics. You know, she seems, as I said, she's playing the violin like a maniac, I think. She, mm. then, she then smashed a flower pot or something rather strange with her mother sitting there next to her. <laughs> That's an interesting I, thing to I, smash. I did, I, did, I did wonder if it's a little bit, um, not Buffy, but Harry Potter, in that um, Harry has got the link to... Um, Voldemort through the, the the scar or whatever it is, and sometimes one can influence the other. Maybe there's a bit of that going on. Mm, I think you might be right. All right, to summarise, shall I go first or you this time? Well, well, I've made a few comments during the episode that you tended to agree with, but I haven't really got a sense of what's your overall feeling about this episode, Rob. So what is your overall feeling about this episode, Rob? I would say this is the best of the three so far. The first couple I gave 7.5 out of 10 to, um, for different reasons. And this I would happily give an 8 out of 10 to. Um, it was very character-oriented. And the threat, although it was CG at times, it wasn't what we were talking about last time, the CG monster of the week. It looked practical in places, and it wasn't overly used. It wasn't on screen talking like a monster. It was talking through real people, maybe like when the angels in Doctor Who talked through Angel Bob when they took on you know, a, a corpse to talk through. It gave it the ability to have actual actors on the screen acting out the part of the Monster of the Week, mm. uh, which was good. And obviously we got all this backstory to, uh, to April and especially to Tanya. If anything, last episode was the Ram episode. I think this was very much the Tanya episode. Now it looks like we're going to have a double episode that might be the April episodes. It's great. And a really, really good episode. In fact, any of you out there who are listening to us but not watching the episodes, and there's, there's some of you who are doing that, watch this episode. It was really good. It's still a young adult story. There's still the, the, the scene where they kiss, but there was so much more to it psychologically and, and plot-wise. It was It's well worth your time to watch. Yeah, look, I agree with much of what you've said. I really enjoyed the episode, uh, particularly the first third I thought was really, really good. And I do want to echo what you said about it not um, fulfilling our fear of it being CGI Monster of the Week. The threat in this is actually quite an original idea. It's quite an innovative idea. It's executed well. It's not a monster. It's a different kind of alien. And if the show continues with that sort of inventiveness, it's going to do very well, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. Big thumbs up from me. Would, would you say it was your favourite of the three so far as well? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Please give me your mark. So I was I was going to go perhaps a nine during the, the early parts. I dropped it down a little bit because I think of that level of disbelief that you do have to suspend it. It doesn't work at all times, but um, it's also got the Charlie stuff, which I'm a really big fan of, resonated with me. So I'm going an eight and a half for this one. Fantastic. And once again, you're within 0.5 of me. So far, but there could be one that divides us. We will see. We will see. Stay tuned, folks, and uh, we'll see you next week. Well, there's the bell. The show's over. You've been listening to The Doctor Who Show Presents Class, the podcast where Rob and Dave from The Doctor Who Show review the new BBC series Class week by week. If you like what you heard, 
why not tell a friend? Why not visit our website at www.thedwshow.net or drop us a line. We're on Twitter at The DW Show, facebook.com forward slash The DW Show and email hello at The DW Show Of course, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or listen to the episodes through the website. The Doctor Who Show and all of the programs on our feed are by fans, for fans and are also free. That means free of charge and also free of adverts. We'll see you next time.